0: If you do a, a quick Google search, uh, it brings up either lions, uh, pictures of lions, or, or pictures of people up uh, climbing mountains, leaping across big gaps between the rocks, this sort of thing comes up uh, when you uh, Google the word boldness. We have it in expressions, don't we? I remember hearing a woman telling off her little son in England for being a, a very bold boy. I'm not sure we use that phrase much around here. Uh, more likely, we might use the phrase... Like uh, someone being called as bold as brass for their audacity to, I don't know, steal your car parking space or, or bringing out their own lunchbox in a coffee shop and starting to eat. I don't know, something like that. Bold as brass. Those are both negative things, aren't they? But here in Acts chapter 4, it's a very positive thing. You'll agree with me, even from the from the leader's point of view, as they uh, look at Peter and John, it's an admirable quality that they see in them, even if they admire very little else about them. Boldness is... Leadership quality. There has to be a, a threat of, or, or danger when you, the word, you use the word boldness in a positive way like that. It, it, it's, that it's that clarity in the face of danger. It's, it's courage. It's keeping the main thing the main thing. It's taking a stand in matters of religious conviction in response to, to persecution. It's not giving in to pressure to recant. It's the sort of thing we expect from our heroes of the faith like uh, the Oxford Martyrs, or, or Martin Luther, or John Knox, or, or Richard Wormbrand. But what about us? What about us? Peter and John are facing the prospect, are facing the effect of the first uh, persecution, as we saw this morning. Strange as it may seem, they've been arrested and spent a night in the cell for healing a lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple. Although, of course, it's the preaching that's really done it, isn't that right? The preaching of Jesus, resurrected and back from the dead, attached to that. And here now we have courts sitting, first of all this evening, courts sitting. And we continue from this morning. At the trial the next day, they're hearing before that supreme judicial, ecclesiastical, and administrative council of the Jews, the highest court of the land, where they find themselves, the Sanhedrin the high priests there, they, as is the former high priest and the Sadducees, and they, uh, they 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 make up most of that council of seventy men. About seven and a half years ago, I had a an interview to be a pastor in a church in England, and there were maybe seven or eight people in the panel interviewing me all at the one time. I didn't get the position. You probably guessed that, but but it was a scary enough grilling experience, and they were basically on my side. Peter and John faced 10 times the number, and they weren't on their side. This is, this is no easy thing. Jesus has promised that his followers would receive the same treatment as him. We read about that in John chapter 15. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And indeed, Jesus was before the same Sanhedrin too in in Matthew 26. And the council are seeking false testimony that day on Jesus. And they have many witnesses come forward, but they can't get two of them to agree. Which has to happen before any charge can stick. And they eventually get two to say that that he has said that he, he will be able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. But Jesus, well, he doesn't utter any response He was actually talking about himself as the new temple, a place of worship in the new era. And then the high priest Caiaphas, he presses him further with this this clear lack of of credible witnesses. He, He wants to implicate Jesus with his own words. And so he asks him straight out. He says, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the expected servant of the Lord? And Jesus tells them, I am. And then, those words are... Important, aren't they? When you think about Moses, I am, (laughs) and and that he also says that that he's the Son of Man, and then he'll be seated at the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas he tears his clothes. That's what he does. He calls it blasphemy, and he declares that Jesus deserves to die. And then they hit him, and they spit on him, and his face, and they and they mock his prophetic abilities. Peter was there too that day, but Peter isn't bold. Peter is, it says in the text, is following at a distance that day. Peter's keeping back. He's hedging his bets. He's self-preserving. He's, he, he's double-minded. Peter is in the very next part of Matthew 26, just about to deny Jesus three times. But Peter's a changed man by Acts chapter 4, because he's seen the risen Christ, He's had breakfast on the beach with him, and he's even watched him leave for heaven in that glorious ascension, and he's received the promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and that's made all the difference, because now he's showing courage and single-mindedness and backbone and leadership. It's always good to have preachers who preach with boldness. I think you'll agree with that lily Levered, soft touch, sitting on the fence, Christianity. It's not what you want to hear from the pulpit. You know that. You want conviction. You want clarity. You want the man up here to say what he, what he means and, and mean what he says. You want him to, to lead and teach and point to Jesus. And Peter has done that without pulling any punches in chapter 3 as he preached that sermon to those who've gathered the people at Solomon's porch. And now he's just done the same before the Sanhedrin, which takes some guts. In the Sanhedrin, in the court hearing, they're they're surprised by what they're hearing. We're told they're astonished. There in verse 13, they're fishermen. These are not men eloquent of speech. Or experienced in matters of the law, they've they've no training in, in their the rabbinic school like, like these men, that they, they hold no positions recognized in religious circles. The boldness of Peter and John surprises them. That's straight to the point, open, frank, honest, strong message. Well, it's a shock for them to hear that. We have the text of what Peter said. John, we don't, but but it's it's similar for sure. The fact that He's standing in front of the leaders of the nation with all their power and pomp and authority. That's bold and gutsy, isn't it? The, the, the declaration that Jesus is the only way, there's no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved, that's, that's bold and gutsy, isn't it? The, the, the you crucified him part of verse number 10 is, is bold and, and gutsy. There are things you might think and know, but not come out with them in the house of lords. That's another matter, isn't it? The council are impacted by the boldness of these two men, but notice they're not impacted by the message, that repent and believe, Jesus is the only way, message from Peter and John, the the presentation of the gospel, the the, the God-man-Christ response gospel, it's a good way to remember it. When you're telling someone, God, man, Christ, response, tell that story, that's the gospel. Same gospel for the regular person, as well as as the well-to-do, the leader of a modest home and the leader of the nation, same same message. They remain unmoved by that, unresponsive, unrepentant, dead in their sins still. Perhaps some will later believe, but not today, not publicly People can remain unmoved, even with boldness, conviction, clarity, and courage that that happens as court sits. Secondly, notice, counsels quandary. The prosecution's case is that Peter and John are spreading the teachings of the risen Jesus, and they want it to stop. They want it contained. Peter has spoken For the defense, in verses 8 to 12, he's spoken of Jesus doing the miracle on the man who was healed and, and how he's the only way. Verse 14 says, they have nothing to say in opposition. They're stuck, aren't they? Jesus said that would happen like this in Luke 21. I read this this morning. I'll give you a mouth with wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He promised it would be like that. The Holy Spirit has given them these words for the court appearance as, as Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would give them words for the court appearance. Their early conclusions are like this. A. Peter and John knew their scripture. They're unlearned men, but clearly they have a great grasp of the scriptures. And B., Peter and John have been with Jesus. It's like, it's like deja vu. It's like Jesus is back again. It's like he hasn't gone away, which of course is fairly close to the truth. They possess his power and authority. A and B are linked. Being with Jesus. Well, that leads to you knowing the scriptures. Jesus referred to the scriptures all the time. In fact, about 10% of everything that that he says uh, as recorded in the Gospels are Old Testament scripture. And the reverse is also true. Knowing the scriptures is like being with Jesus. In these days, in these last days that you and I live in, God has spoken to us in his Son. Reading the Bible now that we have it in his final complete form is, is spending time with Jesus listening to Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet. He speaks to us there. We get to know the revelation of God, the Son of God there. Both of those things are happening. Frustrated by this, the council then send Peter and John and indeed the healed man who's standing with them away so they can deliberate, deliberate So they can brainstorm, so they can consider the evidence and decide what to do. For it's not an easy call. They're they're kind of, they don't know what to do. We have to imagine their thinking goes a little bit like this. Here are the facts. There is bold, open, frank and honest preaching about the resurrected Jesus. Agreed. There is a former lame man standing before them. This cannot be denied. Uh, Agreed. He's in his 40s. A notable sign has been performed. We read... Exhibit A of the evidence was standing right in front of them. The, the human face of the man, he, he was there. Everyone knows about it. It's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It's, it's being talked about in every market stall in Jerusalem. You can put it like that. They cannot deny it. He's, uh, he's still walking around, and, and he's over 40. You can't expect any healing or improvement once you're 40, because in that day you're past it when, when you're 40, Right? That's a a humbling thought for those of us in that decade. It's like the way you think about someone in their late 80s today. Oh, There's no healing for for him or her. They're just past it. That's the the way you would think about it. There's a popularity going on among the people. People responding in large numbers. Yeah, that's agreed as well. Those are the facts of the case. And there are... Desired outcome, that's agreed as well. They want to get this preaching to stop. But how do they get to their desired outcome? There's difficulty with that, verse 16. But what shall we do with these men? They're stuck. They don't know what to do. Finally, we see a people-pleasing decision. What they want clear. They want verse 17, no further spread. They want a circuit breaker. They want to contain this thing. It was the same with Jesus in John 11 after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. We read these words. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. This is Jesus. And if we let him go on, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That says says a whole lot of this, doesn't it? But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. They thought they'd gotten rid of Jesus. But with the Spirit coming, it's, it's like Jesus back again. That sort of whack-a-mole that has resulted in when you've gotten rid of one, there's two now popped up, and, 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 and it threatens to spread far, far further. The Spirit coming has given Peter and John boldness. Their words, authority, confounding the top court in the land, and has put the authorities into a real quandary. And they they cannot convict them because the people are on their side, we're told. Jesus didn't get the same result, of course. The leaders had the people with them there and then and got them stirred up to cry, crucify him. Barabbas, release, release us, Barabbas, please. Remember? And one man did die for all the people. Caiaphas didn't know the truth of his own words and he doesn't even yet recognize him, but he was right What charge do they have against them anyway? Healing a man? And going against the people, that's a real deterrent, isn't it, for them? They really don't want to do that, the leadership. When you want to keep the peace, you have to go with the people. You actually fear the people. Isn't that right? They know a miracle has happened, but they ignore that completely and seek a people-pleasing solution. Fear of people comes before fear of God for them which is precisely the opposite of Peter and John, who fear God and not the people. They go with fear of God before considering any public opinion, unrest, or annoyance. They preach on even when the message is tough to take or even when the authorities tell them to stop. What they actually come up with to do here is merely to warn them, uh, to, to, to warn them to stop Preaching, verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. No preaching. No witnessing either, of course. No speaking about Jesus. Cease and desist. Stop it. That's what they're saying. Jewish law taught that for the first instance of a wrong or legal act, you warn people. Then you can bring them back next time And beat them. That's what it taught. So this is like step one. And leads you to expect step two. If you didn't desist. This is not just a sort of soft warning. This is more of a threat than a warning. We've begun the process towards giving you a beating. That's the gist of it. Okay? That's what they're saying to them. We've begun the process towards giving you a beating. Peter knows this. John knows this. Well, it doesn't silence them. What does verse 19 mean uh, in the ESV? It seems like he's asking, Peter's asking the council, if they think that they should obey them or obey God. But, but he isn't really doing that. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible is helpful here to clarify. It says, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's like this. You make your mind up. We've made our minds up. That's, that's, what, that's what they're really saying to the council. The apostles must follow God rather than any human ruling that contravenes what God says. Because when there's a contradiction, as we saw this morning, it doesn't happen all the time, but it can. With persecution from the authorities, it's much more common. When there's a contradiction, they have to go with God. It hasn't been so with us for many centuries in this country, but with things like the promotion of Pride Month, which spills out into the entire summer now, it seems, uh, and gender pronouns and, and street preaching curtailment, it's back, I think you'll agree with me, it's back pressure. And what did Jesus say to them in Acts 1 verse 8? He told them they would be his witnesses. And the council says, stop witnessing. You see the contradiction. You see the, the, the confliction. The two are in conflict. In the fear of man, fear of God decision, Peter and John go with God. And here in the will of man, will of God decision, who are you going to obey? Peter and John again go with God. When there's a contradiction, you go with God. Verse 20 says, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They cannot help, it's like saying that, but speak of what they've seen and heard. They, they have Jesus' instructions, yes, you're my witnesses. But but in addition, they, they, they know they're, they're witnesses to something really incredible. And what do you do when you see and hear something incredible? Tell me. Well, you tell everyone, don't you? You can't help it. Isn't that right? If you saw a solar eclipse, you would be telling everyone the darkness of totality, the ring of light around the moon. You would say it's incredible. There's one next April in North America, if you're interested. If you were cured of cancer as a result of an expert baffling miracle, you wouldn't be holding that one back. And if you'd just been with the king for dinner, you can be sure everyone you know will be seeing that one on Facebook. Isn't that right? You can't help it. And so Peter and John can't help it. So they continue. And they are further threatened by the council, but to no avail. They can't find any way to punish them. So frustrated they are, but they have to let them go. We read that in verse 21. Because the people are praising God for what's happened, that's that's the reason given, isn't it? They're kind of stuck because they're they're scared of the people and they don't want to go against them, and so they have to. It's their boldness to fear God and not man. It's their boldness to go with God's will and not men's. That, that, that sticks out here. It doesn't seem to cross Peter and John's minds that they that they would they would have been beaten and, and imprisoned. For, for who knows how long? What would happen to their families? What, what about the fact that the, the rulers are much smarter than them? What, 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 what if they were wrong? It doesn't seem to cross their minds. None of this controls them. The Spirit of God controls them. They're so very different, aren't they, from the religious leaders that are kind of sitting in a semicircle in front of them? Aren't they? So very different from the surface religion people who don't last very long when pressure and persecution come along. For surface religious people like them have have the wrong ultimate priorities, whether it be in public opinion or trying to be uh, popular or mainstream or saving face or keeping out of trouble or or saying less than you could say. The calloused hearts of these religious leaders is, is most notable. Think about it with me. They don't deny that there was a miracle. Not a bit of it. They don't even deny that God himself was at work. They could have sort of called it demonic or something, but they don't. They don't deny that God himself was at work. But no matter the evidence and the things that they're willing to affirm here, their refusal to accept it as something that should impact their position on Jesus is really quite remarkable, isn't it? There's none so blind as those who will not see, the old proverb goes. Their preference is rather than dispute any of the evidence, is just to simply do whatever it takes to protect their own positions in government under the watchful eye of the Romans. A matter of weeks ago with Jesus Christ, it was a matter of get rid and probably still get red would have, would have been enforced here, but they're forced by public opinion to, to merely silence them. What would they have done if public opinion had allowed them is a matter of speculation, but I think we could imagine. They'd have got rid of them. Never did it seem to cross their mind that with all the people praising God, they needed to look again to turn from their sins and seek God's only means of salvation. The blind are blind and those in darkness are in darkness. Are you in darkness tonight? Refusing to turn from sin? Refusing Jesus? If you're still with me, think with me of how this passage relates to you and I in our lives. Here's a few questions that'll help you. They're helpful to me. How bold am I? Would I comply if the authorities told me not to witness? Would you still witness if you were told not to, is the question. If it cost you, if it hurt you, how much witnessing you do now when it doesn't cost you will give you a lot of that answer. It will. How much would it change your life if you complied with a cease and desist from telling others about Jesus? It's a challenge, that, isn't it? To ask, am I more like the religious leaders or the apostles? Am I more surface or real? What do we do if we sense how fearful and timid we are? We spend more time with Jesus. We spend more time in his word and around his people. We, we seek to say yes to the Spirit's leading Instead of our own way, which will lead us back to the self-preserving, fence-sitting way of, of, of kind of preserving ourselves as a top priority. And I want to tell you that it's not unimportant which one of these you are, according to Jesus. Because it's the cowardly that end up in the lake of fire, according to Revelation 21. And in Luke chapter 9, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Or to put it more positively, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Since we know the hope of Christ. Since we know the way of life and future and glory. Since we have the Spirit, we are different. We are empowered for more. We're given the same Spirit of boldness. We're very bold, God's Word says. It's the same Spirit at work in Peter and John, at work in you. He is at work. And he makes us bold. Shall we pray for a moment before we sing, Christ is risen and is risen indeed. Our Father in heaven, we hear the challenge. We hear the boldness of Peter and John, the apostles of Jesus. Give us the grace to be bold this week. With the opportunities that arise not lily levered weak or half-hearted but seeking to honor our top boss whose name is jesus i pray this in his name oh man christ is risen